Guys of a Certain Age is brought to you by no one. Absolutely no one. Except these dudes walking down memory lane. Now let's head to the studio to see what they misremember next. time it is of course you know what time it is you're the one who hit play on the podcast app it's time for guys of a certain age robbie covalence in studio with jay reed oh i, I don't get to say my own name this no, time you don't i'm sorry <laughs> yeah and and this other guy i'll let him talk jay reed no art shirley <laughs> art shirley who surely is not here but um boom yeah, sorry, Jay. I just kind of stepped all over that one. It's been a wild uh, 72 hours. I've been to Indiana and back. Wasn't that a Bob Dylan album? I don't listen to Bob Dylan. It could be. Yeah, or maybe the Monkees. Um, uh, Jackson been... 5, going back to Indiana. Yeah, yeah, going back to Gary. I thought that was an LL Cool J. No, going back to Indiana, it's Jackson 5. LL Cool J may have done it himself, but... Uh, no, his was Jackson going back to song. Cali. Going back, going to, back Cali. to Cali. Going back to Cali. Yeah. To Cali. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you guys doing? Well, all right, you're joining us remotely. How are you? Uh, I've been better, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Or well, here, not there, I guess, but here in spirit. There you go. If we only had transporter technology. So what about you, uh, Mr. Reed? How are you? I'm okay. A little frazzled right now. It's been a busy morning, afternoon, whatever time it is now, and things are not going the way I planned. It's a Monday. It's a Monday all day till tonight at 11.59.59, then it's no longer Monday. And, and we're dealing with the remnants of Hurricane Barry as we record this, which is more like Drizzle Storm Barry. But uh, you guys got... <laughs> Thankfully. You know, yeah, we were traveling through some of it last night. You guys got a little bit of... Uh, wind here and uh, some severe thunderstorms in the area right so they say but i, I just noticed some rain I, I didn't really in fact it didn't come as hard and fast as i think they thought it was at first and then it was just kind of in and out it's like we need more rain so but uh all right well cool cool a little bit of a, a of an abbreviated show that's easy for me to say um of course we we've said that off mic for the last three weeks and it never works out that way because we just kind of wind up and go but we're going to do things a little bit different we're going to jump into a single geek of the week um which some of us have watched and some of us haven't so uh, i'll i'll jump into that um and and this show is going to be a little batman centric and uh, because it's the 30th anniversary of the tim burton batman um so the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, this really cool Batman uh, storyboard sequence that was uh, recorded years ago. So we'll go back to uh, the 1989 Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, Batman. And the original script called for a sequence where um, Batman is chasing the Joker leading up to the climactic uh, climactic battle and um, they dropped in kind of a cut scene there where um, uh, the Joker would diverge to a, uh, a carnival setting or something and end up killing these acrobats who are on on a tightrope and it's the Magnificent Graysons what what were they called Art what was the uh, Grayson troop name do you remember from comedy either the Magnificent Graysons or the Fabulous Graysons I can't remember right off what that was and and so you know the cold medicine yeah cold medicine so the 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 joker kills him leaving dick grayson who becomes robin and uh so robin pursues the joker and almost gets killed and batman saves him and that's the end of the cutscene. so it was never shot it was it was not deemed uh needed for the for the movie before they started principal photography 
but the storyboards lived on. And so uh, a few years, I, I guess when they were prepping the DVD release, um, uh, producers got the uh, storyboards. They got Mark Hamill and, uh, and uh, Kevin Conroy to voice this cool little storyboard piece to give some, uh, some, some action to, the, uh, to this cutscene that we never saw. So that's, that's kind of our Geek of the Week. It's a Batman DVD Robin storyboard sequence. What makes it really cool is, is that they actually got uh, Kevin Conroy, who is Batman the Animated Series voice, and Mark Hamill, who played the Joker in Batman the Animated Series, to voice these. And it was really, I thought it was kind of nifty. Mark Hamill actually tweeted it out over the weekend. This has been online for several years, um, but it's been kind of somewhat obscure as things can be on the internet. So, well, there's not much on the internet. I don't know why we couldn't find it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you just four or five up. things. <laughs> but, but I think it was a good move not to to clutter up that original Batman with with Robin. It would have been it would have started to suffer from 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 some of the issues the later Batman movies in that run did. Where they uh, piled on too much stuff. Yeah, how many villains and how many sidekicks. Let's throw right. in Batgirl and, and you know, Mr. Freeze and Bane and Poison Ivy and everybody. Um, so, By but, the way, it's the Flying Graysons. The Flying Graysons. Okay. The Flying that Graysons. That sounds right. But they yeah. were fabulous and amazing, and they also yeah. flew. Magnificent. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, but how cool is it that they got uh, Conroy and Hamill to voice these? Um, that's pretty slick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I thought for a second there that, uh, they were just lifting audio from Batman, the animated series and dropping it in. But according to, uh, a statement, an interview from Mark Hamill, they actually cut the script specifically for this bit. So, wow. um, I'm going to have to go back and see if I can find it on any DVD collection. I've got, I've got the original Batman on, uh, on standard def DVD. Yeah. I think I've got all the, the first four bat, Man movies and the Dark Knight trilogy. So, would that be Batman? Bat- no, Batman's. 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 <laughs> wow, Batman's. Mm-hmm. Well, and so so that's our geek of the week. We'll put it up there for you guys to take a look at. Um, throw a YouTube um, uh, link up. Uh, I don't think it's going to get hit by copyright. Who knows? You you never know these things. So, but um, anyway, but that leads us into. Our um, our primary subject for the week, which is the influence on of the uh, of the Tim Burton Batman on superhero movies now, and Jay brought the, brought this up. I mean, it, it's been thirty years since Batman released, and it's just it's kind of hard to believe that it has been that long since the Tim Burton version of Batman uh, hit the big screen. Um, what what do you guys remember about that movie? I remember Michael Keaton being. You know, and this is something that we'll we may get into in a minute. But when you think of superheroes, Michael Keaton might not be the first person that would come to mind as as to play one. But I loved it. I think that was probably. I, I remember watching all the Superman movies too with Christopher Reeves, but and I enjoyed them. But I don't know. There was just something different with this one. This this was more, for lack of a better word, real. Yeah. Uh, than than the Superman movies. What about you, Art? My reaction is probably just the opposite because, uh, to me, the standard was set with the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman in 78, and it really has yet to be matched. I think, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. Iron Man probably came pretty close to being just another great experience in the movie. But I went into Batman and was really excited about it. Of course, there was no internet at that that point, so the the hype basically came from magazines or, or 
uh, news items you'd see on things like Entertainment Tonight. Um, and so I had an idea what to expect, but still came away thinking that for me, they had not particularly captured the Batman that I wanted to see. As much as I enjoyed the movie, and I did enjoy it quite a bit, and I thought Michael Keaton was great. I thought Jack Nicholson was great. But uh, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholas played a few rounds of golf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jack Nicholson was great. Um, but uh, it just it, it didn't quite hit to me the same way that seeing uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman did the first time I saw that. So I'm I'm kind of in the middle with you guys to you know so uh, Christopher Reeve Superman and just let, let's let's back up a little bit prior to the '89 version of Batman really the only successful uh, superhero movie to that time a major release a major motion picture was the Richard Donner directed Superman which starred Christopher Reeve which came out in '78 or '79 '78 '78 and I remember the tagline for that was you'll believe a man can fly. And right. Remember, this is this is post Star Wars, so blue screen had been developed, uh, or or well, blue screen had, had happened prior to, but had um, they got the blue screen pretty much right. They made this a giant spectacle film. You had all these set pieces. You had the helicopter, um, you know, the the big sets, um, but there had not been any really major superhero movie other than the Adam West Batman in the late 60s. Is that right, Art? Right, yeah. I mean, you had the, the Adam West uh, 60s Batman was a phenomenon. It was, a you know, kind of a just a, a place in time or whatever that, that really uh, kind of ignited with the public and then fills it out pretty quickly. The movie, you know, was kind of cashed in on the success of the TV series, and I think it was, I think it was successful – but uh, I think you really look at the TV series as a truly successful part of that. So I think to say that Superman was the first successful major motion picture uh, featuring a superhero is, is accurate. So let's look at that time between 78 and 89. Um, on, on television, you had The Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm. um, you know, which was fairly successful for I what it was. It. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always have the theme music, the ending theme music in the back of my mind. Um, you had a Spider-Man TV Spider-Man, show. Yeah. which was not successful. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. And then uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah, moving Wonder over. Woman, which was oh, yeah. which was successful. I, yeah, I watched yeah. that one. Moving to the DC universe, and that was about it. Uh, of yeah. course, you had animated uh, Super Friends, all, all the DC. What about stuff? Lois and Clark? What point did that come in? So that came in post Batman. Okay. Lois and yeah. Clark, I believe, was ninety five or ninety six. Okay, somewhere that's, that's probably another episode of successful TV. Yeah, superheroes. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, so and, you know, some people count the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman as as superhero genre type things, although they didn't. They weren't. Uh, they were a, attempt to be a, something of a more realistic science fiction kind of thing. So uh, they had been successful, but I, I think you're I think you're on the right track in saying that that basically those are the ones that were out at that point. So then the the. I, to me, the seminal event that happened was the publication of Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller in uh, 84, 85, that time range, which kind of reset and made Batman a little bit more gritty. I don't want to say realistic, but uh, um, that really kind of elevated Batman, maybe reset from the Adam West idea of Batman to a more realistic um, detective, uh, older guy coming out of retirement, um, and so to me, the the dark the publication of the Dark Knight Returns 
really was a turning point, which set the foundation for the Tim Burton Batman. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of that groundwork had been laid by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams and Jim Aparo to a degree uh, in the 70s, where they t- uh, took him to the detective style Batman. But, uh, you know, people outside of the comic book world really didn't know about, much about that. You know, Frank Miller's Dark Knight kind of broke free and people outside of the comic book world all of a sudden were aware of this graphic novel new term that came about and here's this new Batman that's presented in such a dynamic and realistic way and you can see that Tim Burton pulls a lot from that so was the Dark Knight the first time you'd ever heard the phrase graphic novel before Art? Uh, it would have been around that time yeah I'm trying to think if that was the first one I saw and I can't think of any other one that I that I knew of before then you know so I'm going to say yeah that's probably true there may have been something before then but uh, I can remember and we've talked about this before uh, first going into a comic shop in Memphis and at that point there were these these larger format comic books you know they were calling graphic novels and, and but Dark Knight was the first one I picked up so I think that was pretty much the first. I mean, it's not the first one, I'm sure, but it's the first one I was aware of. Yeah, yeah. yeah see, I hadn't seen all that. I was not really into the comic world at that point. So when the 89 movie came out, that was probably why it was more significant for me, maybe, because that was kind of my first re-entry into Batman from a childhood comic interest. Sure. And I think you also had to look. I mean, Superman had come out in 78. That was you know hugely successful. Superman 2... By a lot of accounts, people, you know, thought that was uh, even better movie. Uh, I still like the first one better, but people uh, certainly thought that was a great second uh, or great sequel uh, follow up. And then after that, things went off the rails. I mean, Superman three was just a disaster. Oh, that's putting uh, it and super. Yeah, it's well, it's a disaster because you have to compare it to Superman four, which was so far beyond <sighs> Richard a Pryor. Just, yeah, no. just really. Superman Richard Pryor was Superman three. That, that's right. Uh, Superman four was the quest for peace. He's the one that uh, yeah, that's the one that Christopher Reeve directed. And, oh, uh, you know, it was just it was just a, a really but both, both of those were bad movies and kind of destroyed any goodwill superhero movies had at that point. <laughs> yeah. And you, you've got to think that soup, the that the crash and burn of Superman four really, really pushed off uh, folks from um, from looking at superheroes as viable yeah. properties. So and I think part of the thing, part of the direction that Batman, uh, Tim Burton's Batman took in 89 was it had to be such a response or a uh, about face from the Adam West 60s Batman, because even though that series now is kind of has a nostalgic following and people kind of love it for what it is at that time, you know, it was reviled. I mean, people in the seventies and eighties, even into the nineties, people thought, Oh, that was the worst thing ever. And some people still feel that way about the sixties Batman show. And so they had to come up with something that, as you said, Jay felt more realistic in tone, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was still it was still pretty out there. I mean, the Art Deco sets were just incredible to me. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it grounds a little bit more in reality, certainly, than any of the uh, anything that had gone before. Well, yeah, my I had um, become a super Batman fan. Is that a term? <laughs> wow, that's a that's kind of a kind of a mixed metaphor there. Uh, but Dark Knight Returns was very formative, was very uh, uh, influential on me because I, I was 15, 16 when that came out. And uh, so I, I it's like, wow, it opened up. It, I was a Marvel guy before that. I did not pay much attention to DC. Then I became a rabid Batman fan. And 
And so I was concerned about Tim Burton and Michael Keaton helming up Batman, this newfound love of my life that I just thought was great um, because, you know, they were known more for comedy. So, you know, I I had to watch if I watched a few movies um, that I tried to reset my reset my expectations of Michael Keaton. And the movie that really kind of did it for me was a dramatic piece called Clean and Sober that he was um, he was in. And um, because I I was afraid of a a Adam West redo, you know. So anyway, it you kind of had that reset. You had the crash and burn, like we said, of of Superman three and four. You really didn't know what you were going to get. And then it hits the big screen, and it was it was the Avengers before the Avengers, right? As far as impact, because that thing played forever. It played for an an entire summer, um, a lot of repeat viewings. Um, I remember seeing commercials in late June or early July of that summer when it when it premiered, where where there were aerial shots over over empty beaches and mm-hmm. over empty parks and the tagline was where did everybody go then you had the the bat symbol pop in they're watching batman again you know still in theaters something along those lines and it was uh it was a huge event and i think i probably saw it four times oh wow um in the theater but you know the the the, the interesting thing was back then neither Keaton nor Burton were top billed. Jack Nicholson was top billed as the Joker. Well, he really made that movie, I think. I mean, Michael Keaton, I don't think took away from it, but but it was Jack Nicholson that that cemented its place, I think. Or what do yeah, you think? I'd agree, with, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think so too. Now, I've seen I've seen a lot of criticism about the movie and that Jack Nicholson was really just playing Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, Here's but, Johnny. And that's true to a degree, but you know, at, at, if, when you think about it, that was 30 years ago. And even though he had defined his, you know, his uh, acting style and his persona or whatever, um, he was still, you know, he was still doing some some good work. I think he still probably does some good work, and not necessarily just falling into you know the old Jack Nicholson tropes that that uh, he does maybe more so now. But uh, but yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought he was the Joker for that time. He certainly was. I think he was absolutely perfect as the as the Joker. Uh, there are some things that you know, um, story wise and and changing of the of the story and making you know him the the uh, the killer of Bruce Wayne's spoiler alert. alert. Sorry, I think thirty years. I think we're okay. Oh, okay. Plus the fact that you've all probably seen the clip now where Michael Keaton actually told that the night before the movie launched on David Letterman. Have y'all seen that? That, that <laughs> oh, came no. out. As, uh. That came out as part of. Uh, Part of the uh, 30th anniversary thing, they show a clip of Michael Keaton, and he's saying, "Well, yeah, he's uh, he's the guy that killed uh, Bruce Wayne's parents, but he didn't know it yet." And went, "Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that." <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear the audience just go, "Oh, oh, that's great, that's great, yeah." But it didn't seem to affect the box office very much. No, no, it didn't. Um, you know, in the one of the things that I loved, I loved a lot of things about that movie. I loved the design. I loved the armor, essentially the Batman armor and all the gadgets. And um, I love the soundtrack. Uh, Danny Elfman uh, did the uh, the soundtrack, and he was in uh, was it Ongo Boingo? Uh, yeah, he was in yes. Ongo Boingo. If I pronounce it right, Danny, if you're listening, I'm sorry if I butchered your your band's name. Um, but he. he so it, um, it it set this this mood. It was very gothic, like you said, Art. 
Um, and it, it just, it had atmosphere and, and no movie, no superhero movie to that time had that type of atmosphere. And it was so influential that if you look um, immediately following Batman, um, there was a Flash uh, show that launched on ABC, I believe, um, starring I Wesley. I think it was CBS, but was it CBS? Well, it was starring uh-huh. Wesley Ship, and, yep. and uh, Danny Elfman did the uh, did the music for it. And so all of a sudden, everybody rushed to drop in and try to catch a piece of this gothic pie that uh, that that Burton and, and Keaton had create, created. And then you had Batman the Animated Series that launched. And uh, so it, that was so influential, that 89 movie, because I think without the 89 Batman, you don't have anything today. You don't, and, and you know, the next evolution would be, um, what happened was X-Men, it was X-Men, then Spider-Man, right? It, as far as movies. That's right, yes. Yeah. yeah, and that's what this article that I found basically said, that without, even though, the MCU now, the Marvel Universe is the big thing. We've just had Endgame and all that, and it's kind of, kind of risen above everything DC for the moment. That this one is what got it started, and not only that, but it brought in people. If you look at Nicholson and Keaton, you got Oscar winner or Oscar nominated actors, and all of a sudden now it's cool to be in a superhero movie. And this is the movie thirty years ago that made the rest of this possible, which I think is valid. But, yeah. you know, it said that, but, you know, uh, 11 years earlier, you had uh, uh, Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman in Superman. So, I mean, I think they brought some heavy hitters in as well. So That's I kind of thought that was a little, uh, I thought it seemed like a little, uh, their memories were a little short <laughs> on that one. But, <laughs> so. but didn't Marlo, Marlon Brando essentially do Superman for the paycheck? Yeah, but I, I would say Nicholson probably did that too. I mean, he got uh, he got he got points afterwards. That's what he agreed to do. Is he said he would take? Uh, oh wow, I didn't realize he got points on it. Yeah, good for him. I think that's right. I know Marlon Brando did that too. But um, but yeah, I mean, they, it was a, definitely a, a payday for both. Of them. So they got you know at the end of the day, those who don't know what points are, it's a percentage of the net, usually the net profits of the movie. So oh, okay. you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. has points on all the Marvel. Um, ones that he appears in. So I think uh, it is interesting to go back and look at not just superhero, you know, wannabe movies, but so many movies that were made after Batman, Tim Burton, Tim Burton's Batman had that same, tried for that same atmospheric uh, feel and tried to find, if they couldn't get Danny Elfman, they tried to get a sound alike and produce some of those things too. They did. But to me, one of the best offshoots, in fact, probably the, the best thing that came from the Batman movie was Batman the Animated Series. Absolutely. You know, because it, it certainly opened the door. And I think a lot of kids today, uh, or, or grown people today, are fans of Batman, fans of comic books, because of the animated series as much as anything else. And, you know, it, it almost felt like a continuation of the Tim Burton movie. Um, yeah. You know, they used the same soundtrack. Um, and it just, it kind of had a really nice gothic style to it. Um, but Kevin Conroy, we've talked about this before. I, Kevin Conroy is probably the best Batman um, from the animated series. And, and uh, what is it? Mask of the Phantasm is, is yeah. probably my favorite Batman movie. It really is probably the best Batman movie. When was the last time either of y'all saw the 89 Batman? Mm, about a year and a half ago. I fell asleep halfway through the middle of it, and we haven't finished it since. So yeah, it's was, been a while for me, too. I watched it just a couple of weeks ago as part of the uh, as part of the 30th anniversary celebration. And 
and some of it holds up really well. Some of it looks dated, but that's going to be true of any movie, you know, after a certain time period. There's a, there's certainly a definitely came out in 89 and there's definitely a, a real 80s feel to the thing. I tell you what takes me out of it more so than anything else. And I loved it at the time, but is are the Prince songs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Prince songs just, I mean, Becky was sitting there watching it. She goes, is that guy sounds like Prince. I said, well, it is Prince. He goes, Prince did this. Yeah. I said, don't you remember? She'd completely forgotten. Yeah. But it really takes you out probably more so than anything else. Bat dance was the, uh, yeah. was yeah. one of the hits from that one. Yeah. And, and so you had the, the, the motion picture soundtrack, then you had songs inspired by. Yeah, and that's right. So you had Elfman on, on one side, you had Prince on the other. And, um, you know, that, that, that did take me, that was still kind of weird to this day. Um, but you know, I loved, I always liked Michael Keaton's Batman. I mean, yeah. uh, Bruce Wayne. Bruce I always Wayne. liked his Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne a lot. And, and to me, the way he played it, Batman was the real character and Bruce Wayne was the fake, the, the, the disguise. And um, there were some really amazing shots. Uh, the, the entrance of Batman where they're on the rooftop and yep, he, he picks up say. the guy, you know. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? I am the knight. What does he say? I can't remember. You've seen No, he says, I'm Batman. Yeah, I'm Batman. Uh Who are you? I'm Batman. Batman. Yeah. Of course, I like Adam West's response to that. (laughs) Have you heard that from, I think it was on Big Bang Theory. He said, I didn't have to tell anybody who I was. I'd show up in the costume and I knew who I was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's a little darker in the Keaton world, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, you think? You think it's a little darker? (laughs) Yeah, we... That that was the uh, that was the Game of Thrones uh, dark image problem that we had prior to Game of Thrones yeah, was was, right. was Batman was so and heaven help you if you got into uh, a um, a theater with a bad print or or bad bulbs it just got yeah. really murky yeah, really fast fun. so um, what about the follow ups just real quickly I know we're going to keep this one shorter but what about the follow-ups i thought the second one batman with uh, the the penguin and catwoman was was really good i thought that yeah. worked real well i i uh, i like that quite a bit um i i didn't mind batman forever um with val kilmer i thought kilmer yeah, me too. was a pretty good i batman. thought that would i thought that one worked pretty well i mean i thought that if anything the worst mistake of that one was wasting tommy lee jones yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would have just left Two Face out of it altogether. I thought Jim Carrey made a great Riddler. He was, um, but I thought that one worked pretty well. Um, and then was there a fourth one? I don't remember a fourth. <laughs> yeah. one. All right, let me yeah. say something about the fourth one. I know that it was the worst one, and you can go into the costumes and the added accoutrements to the costumes. That Hello, Mr. People, Schumacher. <laughs> people talk about yeah. all the time, but I still enjoyed it. I still thought it was fun. It wasn't as uh, the thing I didn't like about that one was Schwarzenegger. Yeah. The whole Mr. Freeze thing. I thought if like you said with uh with Tommy Lee Jones, I mean I wouldn't put them on the same caliber, but but I thought Mr. Freeze was just too much. Uh Poison well, Ivy great. And, and Bane. And there was Bane. You know, yeah, Bane just I, forgot, I completely forgot. I barely Bane remember he was in it. I was yeah, looking at yeah. IMDB today and it had a Bane character listed and I forgot he was even there. Yeah. And you know, that that was after yeah, it was just crazy. What that's one of the biggest bads in the in the Batman universe and yeah. it's a throwaway oh. role, you know? Yeah. So it was very much it felt very much like the worst parts of the sixties. It's like it tried to be campy yeah. without having a real good sense of humor about it. Yeah. Well there was um, a sense of humor, but it wasn't intentional. Yeah, it was unintentional. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. the, the nipples on the bat suit. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. 
Right. Sorry, Mama. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it is what it is. So, That's right. um, it, 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 you know, and those both Batman Forever and um, and Batman and Robin were directed by Joel Schumacher, I believe. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he took over for, for Michael Keaton. Because Warner what for, Brothers at the for time. Tim for Tim Burton. Oh, for Tim Burton. Who do I say? Michael Keaton? Yeah. Uh, uh, but they were afraid of getting too dark. <laughs> and now the biggest complaint against Warner Brothers DC movies is they're just too dead come dark. Man, well, everybody is just, you know, really dark. Yeah, yeah. Overcompensate, so, overcorrect. So how, how does, you know, let's finish it up on this. So that opens up the doors. It shows that, that a superhero movie can make a lot of money. That's I, I think to me the legacy of the of the 89 Batman is it, it, it becomes a blockbuster. It, can, it shows that folks, if it's done, well we'll we'll jump into and watch a superhero movie and watch it repeatedly and make money and uh you know 50 million i think is what it said yeah that. and then but 500 million in merchandise yeah crazy yeah. um and then it it opened up the door for for the movies to come and to, to me that's the legacy of of keaton's batman i yeah, should say yeah. burton's batman and in my collective folk collectaholicness um if you look at my dvd collection now i've got all of the Batmans through the Dark Knight series, um, and then a handful of uh, maybe it, maybe the same amount of Marvel movies and X Men together, but um, no one superhero has that many in my collection. It's to Batman is the is sort of the definitive starting point for me. Well, I think he's the uh, he's the highest grossing single comic book character in history, right? I mean, am I just making that up? I would think that's probably right. I don't know how that compares to what, you know, Avengers have done. If you could take, like, if you could say Iron Man would be because he's been in all these movies that have made it so much, including the, you know, the uh, the Avengers movies. But I would think, yeah, I would think that's absolutely true. Of course, he's had, you know, we've got, what, six major studio releases with Batman? Seven. And I don't know that you've got, uh, Spider-Man would be the only one that comes close to having that many movies you know about him uh and spider-man's had what six now seven yeah seven six. both of them had, had oh, seven that's right you had the original four you had three toby mcguire two with andrew garfield and then you had uh, two with tom holland two with, yeah so he's now, going to seven because yeah. you have the regenerations too that's a good comparison of the batman it, and spider-man mm -hmm. yeah being redone and still being done well um, after. And I think the real big difference is because we've seen both the Superman franchise start off strong and crash and burn. We've seen the Batman franchise start off strong, crash and burn, get rebooted yeah. with a new sensibility. Mm -hmm. With and then of course we've seen you know we've seen the X Men you know whatever that did Fantastic Four. I think once you've got people that really understand the character and care about the character, are willing to make changes that serve a movie better than they would would a comic book. You've got a, a recipe for a lot of success, and I think that's what you've got with the MCU. I think yeah. that's the difference. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so could I? The, to me, the MCU owes a debt of gratitude to Michael Keaton and Tim Burton. Yeah, I would say so. Yep. Yeah, and until and, and this is another podcast for another time. And to a lesser extent, uh, the X Men movies, uh, because to me that was the next, the next generation of. Um, of comic book movies that proved that, Hey, we can do an ensemble. Um, yeah, that's a good point. You know, you could take a team movie cause you had not seen that. Yeah. And you didn't have to have a, a singular, 
uh, character come in and then introduce the team around them because, you know, the X-Men were the X-Men and it wasn't Wolverine yeah, and, and the and X-Men. To be, where the X-Men started to fall apart was when they became too Wolverine focused. I mean, as great a character as Wolverine, as much as I particularly like Wolverine, you know, it worked best in the first iterations where he was, you know, the the reluctant member of a team, but there were other members of the team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, guys. Well, look, hey, we no, we still hit 32 <laughs> minutes. No matter how much we try, guys, once we get in here and start talking, we're just so excited to share our collective founts of knowledge with you. So, uh, anyway, thanks for joining us for a, another episode of Guys of a Th- Certain Age. Uh, if you like us, please subscribe, like, give us a five-star rating. And if you hate us, you can give us the five-star rating, but then dog us in the review. But just give us the five-star rating if you don't mind. So until next time, we'll talk to you soon.